When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Welcome everybody to another episode of the TOP Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Short, and today we got something a little bit different for you. We have a client of mine, Andrew Halavnia. Andrew, say hello. Hello. How are you doing, coach? Okay. Doing good. So the reason I wanted Andrew to come on today is we've been working together a few months. He's just taken over a practice a couple months ago. Acquisition is first practice, and... I just felt like his story would resonate with a lot of people in his position or looking to get into his position or maybe are just coming out of his position. You know, it's a very real world scenarios going on. And there have been some good things. There have been some struggles. And we've laughed. We've cried. Mostly me laughing at him while he cries. I'm just kidding. Uh, I would never do that. Yep. <laughs> but... At the end of the day, Andrew and I are working on a common purpose to ensure a successful transition in this practice and to make sure it grows and blah, blah, blah. So we're going to talk about some of those struggles, although I think he's doing wonderful. It's not like I chose Andrew because he's doing so well or not doing so well. It's just because his story is just real life, and I think it's real, and I think there are parts that are raw, and... That's kind of what we're going to get into. So, Andrew, you've got the stage. Let's throw you a few um, softball questions just to warm you up. So, what do you have for breakfast, Andrew? Same thing I've had basically for the last year, year and a half, uh, smoothie. Okay. Yeah. Head to the gym. What's in your smoothie? It's a very well-assorted mix of fruits, vegetables, trying to stay healthy because Ownership is not very healthy, it seems like. So, yeah, just trying to stay healthy and yeah, smoothie. Nice, easy to drink on the way to work. Yeah. And you're not married. You don't have kids, ladies, anyone who's listening. Thank you. No. <laughs> so you've got to keep in peak physical condition. Unlike me, I can eat whatever I want and watch TV all day. And I'm already married. So sorry to my wife. When did you graduate? Graduated in 2019. All right. And where did you go to school? I've kind of been like a gypsy wandering the land. I grew up in Minnesota, in Minneapolis area, in the Twin Cities. Did my undergraduate there at the University of Minnesota. And then, you know, I was fortunate to be able to decide between a few schools. And I took everyone's advice of choosing the most expensive option. Shout out to you, Nova Southeastern right. University. <laughs> so I went to, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida at Nova in 2015, graduated in 2019 in May, then moved to Tampa for about a year to work for a corporate chain, a DSO. I guess it really is only nine months because I put in my 90-day notice and they canned me a week later. It's It's a cold world out there. Yeah. How was your experience besides getting canned when you put in your notice? How would you say your experience was 
post-graduation at this corporate dentistry outfit and going back, talking to the Andrew who just graduated, what would you tell yourself differently? Would you still look for a corporate gig? Would you look for a private associateship? Would you jump straight into ownership with the hindsight that you have now? I don't think there's really any wrong way to do any of that. I viewed it as more or less a paid GPR. I was very blessed to go and actually not get what I wanted because I wanted to do a de novo startup through a corporate with a classmate of mine. Things fell through and that didn't happen. They actually put me about 40, 45 minutes away from Tampa. So it was quite a drive. But the practice that the DSO that I got into, I was very, very happy and very pleased with. And looking back, I was so glad that I didn't actually do a de novo, even though I thought that would give me a lot of experience with startup and kind of being involved from the very beginning. Bottom line is your associateship was positive up until the end then. It was. I mean, I went on a, a mandatory company trip. And when I came back, half my patients were taken from me that I was promised. So, I mean, there's definitely some bad in there as well. But, you know, that's a very valuable lesson when I was just focusing on what was being taken from me and how I was being treated so unfairly. You know, I saw what I focused on. So it's great learning that lesson. But yeah, it was a high producing practice that I got a lot of reps in and basically could make any mistakes under somebody else's name for the patients that deserved it. I'm just, right. no, but yeah, just got a lot of reps in. And that's really what I wanted to do is increase my speed, get that experience and learn what it was like working with, you know, employees more or less. Good. So you took it for what it was. You learned from the things that weren't so great. You took the positives, got the speed up, learn how to do some crap. It sounds like you got a trip out of it. I mean, <laughs> let's live in the life. Exactly. So you just purchased a practice. When did you purchase this practice? that you've recently purchased? I think uh, the money was wired late May. And first day I started was June 1st. Awesome. So that was right after the shutdown. Like that office had just opened back up post-COVID or during COVID post-shutdown. Correct. Yeah. It had been open for about a week or so. And there wasn't, it was open for two weeks and hygiene had been back up and running for a week. Okay. And we started just kind of officially working together in May before you officially closed, but you were in that practice, even though you weren't the owner yet for a little while. How did you find that practice? How did you choose it? Tell people where it's at compared to where you lived in Florida. It's quite a story. So feel free to cut me off at any point. Yeah, that's enough. Let's move on. (laughs) Uh, I always (laughs) knew that I wanted to be an owner. That was very important to me. That's part of the reason why I got into dentistry. Uh, don't do too well with authority sometimes. You can ask some of the faculty members back at NOVA. But yeah, for beginning in August, I was, you know, I had that long drive. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts, really educating myself. And basically from doing that studying, I realized the best way to find a practice is to find it before it goes on the market. So contacting brokers, that was kind of a last, last ditch effort, I'd say. So first I decided to send out mailers, did the whole purchased a list of local dentists from the examining board, made the mailers, sent them all out. We got about six to eight responses in the first week or two. How many did you send out? 250 or so. And how big of a area? It was northwest or kind of northern Dallas suburbs. I had that 
ran some demographics just to see kind of what the neighborhoods were like, chose a more affluent area. Actually, it was a friend that made this thousand doctor list with all their emails and addresses. Dr. Rainus actually was in Dallas, um, so I owe him a lot. He made that his third and fourth year. Incredibly driven, great guy. Nice. So I kind of piggybacked on that. But yeah, sent out those mailers, 250 or so. Didn't really get too many. Got six to eight responses right away, so I was pretty excited. But then after that, just like my Bumble swipes, it went cold. Didn't hear back from anyone after that. Tell me about those responses that you got. I would say probably like six of them, they're either probably like an hour or so away, or basically I sent it to a dentist who wasn't interested, but he said he would pass it. He or she said they would pass it along. And I was like, you know, I just wanted as many options as possible to choose. I wanted a problem of abundance, not as few of options as possible. So I told them to send that all out. And they were either very far away or they were kind of dentists that just were slowly watching their practice erode and dissolve, you know, working three days a week, one hygienist, 300, 400,000 in production, which I viewed more or less as a glorified startup. And at that point, I'd rather just do it all my own. So they weren't really fruitful practices. They were more or less just a building that happened to have a dental chair and a handpiece. There was one or two that worked well, but I could kind of tell from those sellers they weren't really ready to give it up yet. And I definitely wanted to step into at least 50-50 partnership, if not complete ownership, right away. And so that didn't really materialize. And so I decided I didn't really want to rush or force this process of purchasing a practice, which is, you know, semi-permanent or permanent decision. It's probably one of the first ones I made in my life. So I was a little scary. I was a little apprehensive to force something. So I was planning on renewing my contract with the uh, corporate dental chain. But then once again, Dr. Haynes, he saved the day. He basically was talking with a specialist who knew somebody who was selling. And yeah, he gave I told him to pass along my contact information. She contacted me. A week later, I flew out to do an on-site visit on the practice and then sent in my termination letter to the DSO two weeks after that. So yeah, I rushed it a little bit. When you find a good one, sometimes you got to rush it. So that's part of it. Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. So you found this practice. Tell me about the practice that you purchased. How many ops? We've got five ops. Okay. And what was the production collections, if you're okay with sharing, you know, let's say on average or what had that practice been doing historically? You talked me up about being open and honest. So more than happy to share the numbers. Like I said, Plum for Five has four ops, two hygiene, two are doctor ops. The fifth one, it's going to be a surgical suite, but currently it's a storage closet. In 2019, the practice produced 738,000, collected 662, so 90% collections rate. The doctor did 357,000 in production, and the hygiene production was 380,000. So I knew, based on all that studying and all the podcasts I listened to, that this really did have the potential to be a goldmine. I knew what metrics I wanted to look for, and numbers can tell a story based on which ones you look at. So I thought that was a very key metric that even though this was a small practice, you know, only producing 738, the doctor didn't even do half of that. The previous owner referred everything out basically besides bread and butter. So I also thought I could bring in increased production there. 
and yeah, like I said, hygiene did 52.8% of the production at the corporate office I worked at. We picked the bones clean, the doctors and I did. Our hygiene only produced 14 to 16% of the net collections. There was one red flag, basically, when I was looking at the metrics, I wanted to make sure that as long as there weren't any red flags, I would go ahead and pursue it. But the staff overhead really did scare me quite a bit. It was at 36.8%, which obviously is through the roof. Ouch. Yeah. To get to that 36.8% team overhead, which is obviously a, a lot higher than we want it, what was the team makeup at the time when you were purchasing? Uh, there were two hygienists, two assistants. They were both cross-trained to kind of help out in the front desk area as well, and an office manager. Okay. Everyone was very young besides that office manager, all under 30. Gotcha. So that was the makeup at the time. Two hygienists, two assistants that were kind of cross-trained and an office manager up front. And by cross-trained, the assistants were able to help out up front as needed. So that was the makeup at the time you were going to take over. What is the makeup now and which ones of those are still around? Which ones of those are not around? I probably should check my email. Who knows what the makeup is at this point? <laughs> seems like it's constantly changing. But currently, the office manager did not come back. I viewed it definitely, obviously, with the staff overhead percentage. It was definitely overstaffed. The low production obviously did not help staff overhead percentage, but it definitely was overstaffed. And I remember listening to some of your content that you put out saying that you really don't need more than one person up front until you start doing over a million, I believe, or maybe it's over a hundred thousand a month. I'm not sure. So looking at that, I knew, okay, we don't really need two people up front in the selling doctor. She was kind of dealing with, she was dealing with the disability at the time still is. And, uh, so I knew she kind of just wanted to, to have the practice more or less as staffed as possible so she didn't have to deal with any headaches. And as a result, I felt like she did delegate the office culture and leadership to the office manager, which I know for <laughs> first-hand experience, yeah, that cannot be done. So I knew going in there that probably somebody yep. was going to have to have a reduction in hours. Sorry, I didn't answer your question. So currently, the office manager is no longer with us. We have the two hygienists, they're still with us, and one of the dental assistants actually turned in her two weeks, about two, two and a half weeks ago. So we have a new team member joining us Tuesday, which we are all very excited about. Yep, you could use them. And one of the front desks, or your person who's at the front desk now, was actually one of those cross-trained assistants when you took over. So you moved her to the front desk to fill that position. Correct. Yeah. The one that had the most experience that usually was up front the most. Right. So you moved one of your assistants that came with the office up to the front desk. You got rid of the office manager and now you've hired a new assistant to fill in that gap that was created there. Correct. Yes, that's correct. I wouldn't say I let go of the office manager. When I took over, it was during COVID, and the previous owner used the excuse of, due to COVID, we can't have that many people in the office. So she actually didn't have the office manager hired and currently working. And when I asked her about that, asked her a few times, it was I got very guarded responses. And so I figured something was fishy, something was going on. 
but yeah, ultimately I knew either one of the assistants had to go or the office manager had to go. And based on a lot of the uncertainty and kind of what I had heard, I decided it would be better to cut bait with the office manager since something was going on, but I wasn't really sure. Just had more variables surrounding her. Right. It just kind of helped confirm your decision. I mean, you knew, we knew, looking at the numbers, this practice doesn't support two people up front. It's nice. You know, it makes everybody's job super easy because no one has to do a lot. But it also puts your team overhead at 36%, which is not a sustainable way to run that practice. And you didn't technically rehire, so you didn't have to let her go. But you did have that option. I know you guys met, and I also know that's a decision that you wrestled with quite a bit. Yeah, I did a lot because she, great personality, kind of the face of the practice more or less. And I know the staff really liked her a lot as well. I almost viewed it as she was the champion for the staff more or less and would bring things up to the doctor. Right. Yeah. Pretty common scenario when you delegate that leadership, which is in reality is the one thing you can't delegate in your office. You can't delegate the leadership because even if you do try to do that, you're still saying something about your leadership and that team. So they would, they would have a problem. They'd go being complained to that office manager, office manager would come and kind of play double agent, go to the doctor And I'm not just saying this for your practice. I'm just saying this in general. I see a lot of is that office manager then comes to you and is like, man, I don't know why this team's complaining, but this is what they want, doc. And then they go back to the team and like, man, that doctor's a jerk. Here's here's what they're willing to do for you guys, which you got to cut out that double agent. But I know it was a tough decision for you deciding what to do because for you, it definitely would have been more comfortable to have her. You know, it felt good for that continuity it's scary sometimes letting go of that person you need to let go of or not hire them back. I know you didn't have to fire, but because you know, it's safe. It's like that warm, fuzzy blanket, man, this feels good to have this person here and help me out with all the patients. But in reality, if you do things right, you don't need that person. They're just costing you a lot of money when you have someone that could fill in. It doesn't promote good communication in the office either. If the staff is going to herd, then, you know, we're playing telephone at that point. And, you need to know where you stand with everyone and everyone needs to know where they stand with you day in, day out. Yep. And I know even if you would have decided to bring her on and hire her, you knew that was something that was going to have to be addressed anyway. You were going to reformulate that communication channel to make it come directly to you if there was an issue or something like that. So either way, you were going to have that addressed. It just turned out that her services were not needed at your office any longer. And I think this is probably one of the biggest struggles, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you've had. And it's very common. You went and are still going through a very common scenario that isn't all bad, but many of our clients experience it. And that is taking an underperforming practice where the team in their mind is thinking they're working hard. I'm sure if you would have came to that team in February, where hygiene was out producing the doctor, they were doing 60000 a month, and asked them, hey, are you working hard to be like, oh, yeah, man, I'm busting my butt, doc, I can't do anymore. But in reality, they were very much either underperforming and or underproducing. And then when you go in, or any doctor goes in and tries to grow that practice, and you're able to do that very quickly... And now the team, in their mind, thinks they're being overworked for the same amount of money. 
when in reality, they're just getting up to where they should have been all along, but they weren't held accountable. They weren't led. They weren't pushed. They weren't trained. So in their mind, they're like, oh, man, this new guy's just killing me. He wants to pay me the same amount. And, but I know. But for our listeners, tell me a little bit in your own words how you're navigating that. Well, definitely uh, navigating it with your advice for sure. I remember bringing this up to you. And you were spot on when you said, you know, hygiene actually won't change that much. They're crushing it. They're doing what they need to be doing. So their role really won't change that much or their workload. But I definitely did my best to inform my front desk and my dental assistant that we're going to be doing a lot more work because we need to pick up our side of the office's production. And, you know, the practice took off. The practice started doing really well right away. But the team morale was still low for some reason. And I, I was spinning my wheels and I couldn't really figure out why the team morale was low. You know, the business itself, the numbers were doing great. We're doing well by every single metric. So I kind of took a step back and was looking at it and trying to figure out why that was. And I realized, you know, the business itself, you know, the brick and mortar, the website, whatever it may be, that was attracting most of my time and my, my attention and energy. And, you know, what we focus on improves when it done well. So I realized I really had to put a lot of time and energy into my team, into my staff, into the relationships and really building that up. I think in hindsight, I tried to shortcut leadership and just make the practice successful, but that really doesn't work. The law of diminishing returns from 21 irrefutable laws. It's a good read. You should check it out, by the way, Dr. Short. It's going to be much more difficult growing the practice from like a seven to nine on the production scale than it will be from increasing my team from a four to a seven. And basically, I just had to put a lot more time and attention into my staff. And, you know, because we're dealing with COVID, dealing with the change in leadership, I'm sure they think their team members are just perishing one by one and slowly dissolving away. And so, really have to be there for them and talk with them and make sure that. We have really good communication and we're all on the same page, but basically just putting a lot of time and energy into that and focusing on leadership, relationship and communications with my team. Right. And I know you alluded to it a little bit there, but what would you say you're specifically doing to grow your leadership? Yeah. I know some of it's happening through osmosis, but like, what would you say? How are you doing it? Asking a lot of questions and trying to get feedback from other people that I view as good leaders. Also, like you said, by osmosis, just kind of day in, day out learning. And even though you get punched in the face and you have those tough days, you still show up ready to go the next day. It doesn't matter. It's not fair. If you want to be the leader of the practice, you have to show up and give it your all every time. Otherwise, you're setting an example that the staff can just show up and perform how they want to perform. Actively reading leadership books like the 21 Irrefutable Laws, listening to audiobooks on my drive to and from work, just a lot of John Maxwell currently. So yeah, just trying to learn, trying to educate myself on principles and what does and doesn't work. And then going into the into the chop shop, into the practice, I get to test out those theories and try it out. And I think it's also important, the mindset and the mentality. And I'm, you know, I'm not going in there just to extract as much money as possible and make my team and my assistants do as much as possible and get the maximum return, but going in there and really building them up, empowering them, educating them and helping them helping do what's best for them really. Cause that's much more sustainable than grinding every penny out of them. 
Right. No, 100%. You brought up a lot of stuff there I want to touch on. Number one, leadership is, you know, I think it's an active skill that we learn. It may happen through osmosis a bit, but it's never going to reach its full potential through osmosis and just doing it. I think ways that I've seen your leadership grow, and I'm sure this list is not exhaustive, but we talked about reading. I put it on you. Like, I know you're busy. You're running a practice. You got other stuff in your life. And then we had that talk. Like, you gave me a damn book report. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone in the world, you know, if you ask them, are you busy? Oh yeah, I'm real busy. And every, and we all are to some extent and it's all relative, but I basically told you like, you don't have kids, you don't have a wife yet. And not that you're not busy because of that, but you're only going to get busier as those things materialize. And so basically told you like, you've got the time. Don't tell me you don't have the time. You've got the time, but you need to buy some leadership books, not just listen to them on the car and let them go in one ear out the other, but get them, read them, make notes, highlight, study them. And I know you're, and you took that on. I was very impressed. I didn't have to tell you twice. I didn't have to suggest it twice. You did it. And I know you're putting it into action. Other ways, I know because we talk a lot that you're having difficult conversations. And I can already tell, and you know, from month one, you're like, oh God, I know I got to what should I do in this situation? We're probably deep down. You knew you had to have that talk with somebody or address an issue. And you, at that point you may have needed a kick in the butt. And then, you know, a month and a half later, I get a text, Hey, I just had this go on in the office. Two gals were kind of bickering a bit loud. So what I do, I called them in my office. I addressed it, sent them out and it was taken care of. So not that it was easy, but it was easier. And you were already in a different place. And I think, You've been growing by leaps and bounds, but it's because you're being intentional. You're putting in the effort, just like lifting weights. Those hard conversations are what make you a better leader. It's hard those first couple of times you have to call in a, a team member and say, hey, that's not how we do that. That's not how we act in this office. Or this is how, I know you've been doing it like this forever, but this is how I really want us to work on doing it going forward. And I'm happy to work with you. And, you know, so... It all makes sense. But the more of those conversations you have, like anything in life, the easier they become. And you've been putting in those reps and it's paying off, but you're still not there yet. As you know, I'm not telling you, I'm sure that's what you would say. Yes. No, I, I mean, I know, <laughs> you know, culture is a process in the office. You know, you don't just walk in and turn a team's culture that's been ingrained for years and years and turn it around on a dime. It doesn't happen. And you brought it up, you know, you can work on the numbers, they can move faster, but culture is what's going to lock it in for the long term. Make sure it's not a flash in the pan. Make sure that your life is getting better in the long term because you have a team that is positive, is kind to each other, is respectful, is hardworking, performs well, stuff like that. And I've used this line before, you know, in golf, there's a saying, drive for show, putt for dough. And I think in dentistry, it's produce for show, get your culture in line for dough. That's what's going to lock things in and ultimately get you a practice that is less stressful, easier to produce, and a multitude of other benefits in as far as being a business owner. So, bravo. I know it's a work in progress. Thank you. 
That's the absolute truth right there, what you were saying. Thank you for the kind words. But as you said, I know I've got a lot more to do, more than what I even probably imagined. And the biggest thing is, I guess, not being afraid to fail. Like, still remember when they raised their voice and I just shut the door. I didn't close the door, but I just kind of tried to shut it a little bit. And then it got louder. And I was like, okay, this is going to suck. I haven't really done this before, but this might not go well, but this is what I have to do. And hopefully from the pain of this experience, and if it does go poorly, it'll just motivate me more the next time to, you know, get my act together and try it again. Just not being afraid to have those conversations. Right. I I think that's a great point. It's not like Andrew or any other doc and myself included. It's not like you're jumping up and down. Like, yes, I get to deal with this staff issue right now, (laughs) but you have to do Hone's. You know, because it's what's got to be done. That's what's ultimately going to turn your culture around and set the standards. Had you just let it go, I always say you get what you tolerate. Had you not addressed that and just let it go, let it run its course, kind of shut the door and plug your ears and like, no, 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 this isn't happening. That would tell those two people and it would tell everyone else in your office, this is acceptable. Yeah. And there's a lot of doctors who do that, and there's a lot of doctors who don't reap all the rewards that our wonderful profession can give. But it's harder. You know, it's harder to take the road less traveled that way. Let's take a step back. How did you decide you wanted to coach? Because you and I, I mean, again, props to you, we talk a lot. I mean, I, I was looking at our text string before we got on this podcast, like, it's long and distinguished, as they'd say on Top Gun. Yeah, I might get kicked off my parents' cell phone plan pretty soon if I keep calling and texting you like I am. <laughs> but I think it's good. And, you know, I think it's kept you on a path, and it doesn't bother me. Ultimately, you're my client. I care for your success. I want to help, and you've been using it. So I appreciate it. I'm glad. And I think it's, it's definitely helping. How did you decide you wanted to coach? how did you know you wanted to coach? how did you decide on TLP? Trial and, you know, just trying out what you had to say. I listened to a lot of your podcasts long before I ever contacted you and just your vision and what you had done really resonated with me and, you know, kind of helped actually shape what I want my future to look like. And there's not too many people that have the same vision or yeah, have the same vision that you do. And so, you know, with those long commutes to work, there's positives with that. You know, I'd listen to your podcast and you'd say, Hey, do this, do that. And I'd get all jacked up. I'd try it out. And most of what you said would work quite well. And after a while and practicing enough, it would work really well. What do you mean by most? What didn't work? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, your jokes. Your jokes didn't work. Uh, I tried yeah. a few of them. No. Uh, <laughs> after a while, enough practice, you know, I, I realized I had to come up with my own material. But your recipe for success was simple. It's not easy whatsoever, but it is simple. It wasn't gimmicky. It's work hard, have attention to detail, don't lie to yourself, like do the right thing, enact the right principles, regardless of how you feel, and get it done. That I also know, you know, I figured Tiger Woods. Michael Jordan, Andrew Halovnia, what do we all have in common? We, you know, coaches. I mean, the best in the world always have coaches and that you need constant feedback. Yeah. So, I mean, that was another thing. And, you know, I figured a, a coach for a dental practice really is like a, a dentist looking at your mouth. And you coach just like your treatment plan. 
if I have a small problem hiding somewhere in my team or something or in my business, you'll diagnose it. Just like you wouldn't sit and watch a small cavity turn into a big cavity just because you've already told the patient, oh, you have five, you need five other cavities filled and it's your first time meeting them. You don't let me watch my problems either, which, you know, it's very easy to do when you have what seems like a million things and the to-do list grows every day. And if I have a big problem, you offer me the best solution, not the easiest, but you offer me the best solution. And, you know, I'm, sometimes I'm a stubborn bastard. I don't always take professional, your professional advice. <laughs> and then, per usual, when chaos does erupt weekly based on my text to you, you're still there and, you, you know, you help me clean up my mess, which I'm incredibly grateful for. It is definitely my pleasure to ride your butt like that. Yeah, and I think one thing good about you I think is a good quality for other docs out there, you know, whether you become a coaching client or, or you just have other friends or mentors or whatever, you know, I think what I've liked about your approach is that you often ask for feedback, which I don't always get, you know, Doc Rivers says the best players want the truth. And I agree with that a hundred percent. And most people don't want the truth or they want to a part of the truth until it hurts. And then you're like, yeah, I'll do everything you want me to do, except unless it's something I don't really don't want to do. Your results are always be limited with that approach. You're always going to be stunted. And I'd much rather for the metaphorical you to go through the hard part now while we're working together so that when we're done, you are not that it's always going to be easy. It's not, it's always going to be some formal work, but I want to do the heavy lifting now why I know I can be there and look over and help as much as I can so that when I'm gone, most of your heavy lifting is over. Yeah. As I say, I'm 27 with no family. Like now is the time when I'm, I'm young, I can work hard, I can bust my butt. But when I'm 40, 45, yeah. I don't know if I'm suited for all the hard work. So watch it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, putting it in now. Yep. And even though you are single with no kids right now, let's be honest, you have a very active Tinder account that, you know, yep. so thank you. I, I didn't want to breeze over that. I didn't want to make it sound like you have no extracurricular life okay. going on. <laughs> ah, just kidding. See, that's why that's how we lose <laughs> listeners right there. It's <clears throat> uh, all good. Let's get down to the brass tacks. Let's talk about numbers. You know, when you took over the practice, averaging roughly 60 a month, what did you do in June? In June, we did 90,500 about. In production. In production. Not shabby. Not too shabby. So, again, now people can kind of get an idea of what he was dealing with the, with the team. Even though the team was underperforming, besides the hygienist, I felt like they were fairly strong. But even then... Everyone seeing like, well, we just went from sixty to ninety thousand in one month's time, but you still want to pay me the same. This ain't gonna work. What's up with that? I need a raise now because now I'm actually working like I should have been all along. So, what was it? Ninety thousand in June. Yep. And what was it in July? In July, we did ninety three and a half, I believe. So. We went from 60 to 90 to 93.5, and then let's get into to reality, because the only reason numbers were good in June and July was because you had pent-up demand and you were closed, and we knew, looking forward, even back to the end of June, I know you were concerned about August, 
looking ahead. We talked about it several times. You were freaking out. I kept telling you to stay the course, but I'm fine with a little bit of concern. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. You know, you should be concerned. If you're, if you're in June or early July and you look at August and you see I've got 25,000, 30,000 on the books, you should be concerned. You know, absolutely. You need to be concerned enough that you get in there and you figure it out. You get people on the phone calling patients up. Hey, you're due for a cleaning. You haven't been in for a while. You were diagnosed two crowns back in March. You haven't heard from you. What's up? You got to figure it out. So I know we had the concern in August. August isn't over. We're at the 21st of August right now, even though this won't come out until next Wednesday. This is Friday. What are you on track for for August? I apologize for sounding like a broken record, but say it with me. On track for the best month ever. We're on track to do 98,200 as of now. Right. So, yeah, small baby steps. We're still moving in the right direction, which is nice. The thing I'm most proud of is that we are for, for two reasons. One, we're doing this while we do not have a stable team. We're bringing in temps every other day, it seems like. You know, we're kind of patchworking the team together. But, you know, the practice is still doing well. We're still producing and consistently growing. And the other factor is in June and July, my hygiene department produced, I believe, 44 and then 40,000 in July. And in August, they were only scheduled to do 25. So it also was a office shift in terms of production and who was actually leading the office in production. Because as I alluded to initially, when we first started talking, hygiene produced 52.8% of the practice's production. So it really was my opportunity and my time to step up and actually lead the office in terms of production, as almost all practices do, which I was a little nervous about because I knew if you know we had a month where we didn't do too well and you know hygiene did twenty five and I did thirty, I don't know how I would have looked at myself. Even though I know you guys should be patient, kind to yourself, that would have been really hard for me to take, and so I was really nervous. And I did consciously or not put a lot of pressure on myself, unnecessary pressure on myself. Yeah. But pressure paid off. A couple things, you know, I wanted to touch on from what you just brought up. Number one is, you know, when we go into this practice or you went into this practice and we're working together, most doctors go in to see a practice doing 60,000. And they probably know if they purchased it, that there's good potential there in that practice. However, I know most doctors, not all, because I know there's doctors out there like, no, I wouldn't do that. That's not me. But there are some doctors, a lot of doctors, who would look at this practice and see it was on average doing roughly 60000 a month and be like, man, hope I can get in there and take over and, and do 60000 for the first couple months, which is okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, not for everyone, but to go in and take over a practice and maintain production, keep patients and team happy and stuff like that, there's some validity to that. You know, there's other people who look at it and be like, man, this practice averaged 60,000. If I can go in and do 70 my first couple months, like I'm a rock star. I'm killing it. Again, not bad. But one of my goals as a coach is to, and I'm not taking any credit for what Andrew's done. Andrew puts in the work. I just get to be on the sidelines and cheer him on. But I'm also going to push him, run up that score. Like, yeah, you, 60 or 60 taking over 70 would be great. But no one says you have to stop there. Like, there's no reason. 
Why not? If you can do 70, why can't you do 80? If you can do 80, why not do 90? 90, now we're going to be pushing for 100. And I think one of the ways I like to grow production is I want to make a push. I want to see it repeated to lock it in. Because now, looking back, you know, if you'd have a 60, 70, $80,000 month right now, like you're going to be in the dumps. You're going to be depressed. And I want you to be depressed if you start hitting those numbers again. 90, you know, I would say right now, is your bare ass minimum that anything below that, and even probably 90 at this point, you're going to feel like a failure. You're not a failure, but you're not going to feel good about it. So now the goal, you know, we've created that new floor. Now, once we get this locked in for three months in a row, now we're going to be pushing again. And who knows where we're going to end up taking it. You're going to end up taking it. And another thing I wanted to just real quickly touch on is that obviously we spent the the first five-sixths of today's podcast talking about things that Andrew has had to deal with, struggles with the team especially. And it's easy to make excuses like, oh, I'm dealing with teams. I've got team turnover. I've got to find temps, crap like that. And as a result, we let the numbers not grow like they should. And numbers aren't everything. You know, like we said earlier, we're working on the culture. We're trying to bring that up. It will happen, but it's it's a process. However, when your numbers have gone up, like Andrew's have, it covers over a multitude of problems in your office. Because I guarantee you, even though it really does, Andrew knows he has a lot to work on, as we all do, and we all did at that point in our career. It makes it a lot easier to sleep at night when you know, hey, I know I got to work on my team, I got to work on my culture, but I'm producing ninety five thousand on a practice that was producing sixty thousand for the last three years, just two months ago, and it's a different story than if Andrew was sitting there saying. You know, I'm producing 60000 on this practice, and I still got to deal with all these problems. Like, you're still going to have a culture that needs to be changed over time. It's still going to be a process, no matter what. It's not like I'll decide to produce 60, but I'll get my culture done in two months. It doesn't, that's not how it works. So, we know the culture is going to take some time either way, and we're going to continue to work on it. But, man, it makes things a lot nicer and a lot easier when you can lay your after taking this practice off. That I was, and Andrew's like everyone else, you know, he, he had good skills going into it, and he does have good skills, but it's nerve-wracking. I don't care who you are. It's nerve-wracking purchasing your first practice. When you're 27 and between the practice and student loans, you're over $1.1 million in debt. That It can be scary, but it also can be a good motivator. But having that consistent production history that I feel like I'm finally starting to achieve, you're exactly right. It does alleviate a lot of pressure and stress on those drive homes from work. Yeah. So not that production cures everything, but it takes, it buys you time. It takes off some of the stress as you're working on other things. So as we wrap up here, what's some wisdom that you've learned, Andrew, that you would share with someone else who's looking to purchase their first practice or getting ready to purchase their first practice based off what you know now, what would you tell them? I guess a few things I would say. The first is to get as much help as possible and don't be afraid to pay for it. By getting help, I mean, first look for quality people that have been there, been in the industry and have done it successfully. You know, they, they say you are who you surround yourself with. And so if you surround yourself with a successful team, a great financial advisor, great accountants, a great coach, 
over time, I, I truly believe success is guaranteed. You know, do your research, ask around and inquire, and then hire the best. Like golf, Tony Robinson says, like, you know, if you hit a golf ball and you were off where you're aiming by even a millimeter, you know, over the distance of that shot, you know, you're going to either end up with a crate shot or you're going to be in the rough. So getting on track and starting on the right path right away will pay massive dividends in the long run, a year from now, five years from now, and so on. The other thing, kind of like you alluded to, like having good production does help. Dealing with the team issues does help because it really helps clear your mind and free up that mental bandwidth because ultimately having that mental bandwidth freed up so you can make critical decisions and judgment calls, it's always done best with a decluttered mind. And yeah, it's, it's risky and it's so much work, so much more work than what I thought it would be. Sometimes I drive home in pure silence, no music, no nothing, just thinking, you know, like, what the F happened today? And I'm sure I look like a, uh, a serial killer to other drivers on the road, you know, just driving in silence. That said, with how the practice is doing, if it maintains how it's doing between my salary and what the practice will be worth as an asset. I would be out of debt on paper based on my, you know, my net worth, my assets put up against my debts and liabilities. So it it is worth the risk for sure. And with talent like you guiding new owners or experienced owners, it really isn't too much of a gamble. And lastly, obviously do your research and become educated so you don't rush into a decision, but also important for I think just your emotional and mental health is to find ways that you know are effective for calming you down and de-stressing you. I'm getting back in touch with a life coach of mine that I applied for through the corporate office that I worked at. Her and I started talking actually after that ended. And so, you know, talking with her, talking with family members, especially my sisters and my brother, and just kind of, you know, talking with them, that really helps calm me down and decompress from all the stress and anxiety that's going on. So finding those ways to de-stress uh, is really important. Yeah, family members and I guess eh, a few hookers every now and then doesn't hurt too. Right. I can tell you've listened to this podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> Learn from the best, right? But yeah, just making sure you know those rituals that you have that will help blow off steam is also incredibly important because I even, I know vividly, <laughs> I remember talking to you saying like, what can I do to better prepare? I know this is going to be tough. What can I do? What can I do? And it's no matter how much you prepare and how good your plan is, it's still going to be really tough. A lot of days, a lot of days, it's really tough. Yeah. I forgot about that conversation. I think it was uh, late June and you're like, man, you know, what are things going to start getting easier? Like, bro, <laughs> this is just beginning and it's okay. I mean, that's like you said. That's part of it. I'm I'm not going to blow smoke up your butt or anybody else's butt. I think most people know that. That, you know, if you want something special, if you want something above average, if you want to grow practice like you have, it's not going to be easy. Like, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Nobody would need a coach. Nobody would need mentors. Nobody would need info from anyone else. They just go in and do it. It's not easy. And there will be days you probably want to quit. And everyone feels like that. So that doesn't separate you. What separates you is how you're going to respond to those times and how you're going to fight back and say, okay, got the crap kicked out of me today, but I'm going to go in and do my best and maybe I'll get the crap kicked out of me tomorrow, but I'm keep fighting. And then you keep at it, it will pay off. And the line that I know has gotten ingrained in your head, the saying, successful practices are built daily, not in a day. So 
you know, it's going in day in, day out with the grind, but knowing even though there's days where you feel like nothing good happened, eventually if you keep at it, you look back three, six months from now and you're like, dang, look how far I came. And that's what you want. But that's good stuff. I appreciate you being open. Andrew was not paid. I know he said nice things. I appreciate it very much. He wasn't paid much. He wasn't paid much for this interview. (laughs) You know, but I'm excited to see where things are at six months from now. And maybe we'll have Andrew back on and we'll see if he's at that 120 mark. Maybe he'll be back down to 60 and we'll just, we'll just roast him for an hour. Oh dear Lord. (laughs) uh, Anything else you wanted to add or anything, Andrew, as we wrap up? Let's see here. Don't give out your Tinder account. Okay. Sorry. You read my mind right there. (laughs) But I guess I don't have anything. Yeah. You know, the successes and accomplishments, those are nice, but, uh, you know, the setbacks also are more valuable teaching lessons. So it's just kind of about seeing the situation for what it is. And regardless of what arises, trying to appreciate it. I don't know. That's what I say. It doesn't really happen that much. It just sucks some days, but that's about it. I guess all I have to say is thanks for having me on. Absolute blast. You really inspired me and many of my friends I know that are also uh, dentists. And all I can say is you do great work. You've uh, truly been instrumental and helping me grow the practice. Yeah, that's nice, but really helping me grow into the best version of my, myself as well, but not giving me the easy outs and keeping me honest and keeping me on track. And I know none of this would have been possible without you. So I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm sure my staff appreciates it too, because there's some days I want to go in there. <laughs> yeah. And you've given them real quick before we end, you've given them some nice bonuses too. Yeah. You know, because it is a team, it is a team effort. A well-trained team is going to beat the best dentist every single day. And I think it's important for them to know that I do appreciate them, both with compliments and, you know, non-tangibles, but also with bonuses to let them know, hey, we're doing well and I'm here for you. I got your back. And when we do well, I'm more than happy to share that. Yep. That's just as big a part of leadership is I know it sounds like we've talked about the negatives today and having to hold teams accountable or train them or, you know, call them to task. But what you guys don't see or hear is when we're talking, we're talking probably even more about making sure we're encouraging them, praising them as they're, they're trying to up their game and also rewarding them. You know, I know they've gotten more bonuses in the last two months than they've gotten probably in the last, two years. So we're all for rewarding the teams and praising them and encouraging them and being thankful and grateful for their service. And we want them to be rewarded as well as the practice grows. But that's it, Andrew. Thanks for being on today. Appreciate you being open and sharing. Can't wait to see where it goes. If anybody wants to get in touch with us at TLP, it is Justin, Derek, or Steve at thelifestylepractice.com. But, yeah, we'd uh, love to hear from you guys. Otherwise, we'll be back next week with another episode. I don't know if I'll be on it, so it may not be amazing. Just kidding. Derek and Steve do an amazing <laughs> job. That's it. Till next week. Peace.